The brand Audi is no stranger to success in motorsport, however some of the history of Audi's racing successes are quite unique, particularly with their involvement in the Trans Am and IMSA GTO series. And we're here with Timo from Audi Tradition to find out a little bit more about the history of these two cars in particular. You're listening to HP Academy Tech Talk, a show about performance tuning, wiring, engine building, and big power builds. Learn from the best as we interview car nerds, engineers, and builders at the top of their game at the biggest automotive shows and race events from around the world. So, Timo, first of all, for a European manufacturer competing initially in 1988 in the Trans Am series uh, with a small capacity five-cylinder engine against some larger capacity, much bigger V8s. Uh, how difficult was that to compete on an even playing field? I think it wasn't, the competition itself wasn't so easy, so, uh, so difficult back in the days because um, I think the, the approach of everything was the, more, the higher difficulty in these cases because um, just to see and to find out for, also for the competitors to see that, that this small capacity engine can can match the other engine and because of the turbocharge technology and whatever um, I think this was quite a, a waking up moment for everybody and um, I think there was a lot of trust um, inside the development co- uh, department from Audi to see that we can match these numbers which um, the other competitors in the US can do with the bigger engines. Okay, now talking about the turbocharger setup, so this is a small capacity 2.1 litre engine versus the much bigger naturally aspirated V8s you're competing against, what sort of power level were these Audis running in Trans Am form? You mean the power output of the engine, it was 550 um, horsepower with roughly a boost level of about like 2, 2.1 bars um, in competition, maybe a little bit higher, depends on, on the ambient conditions I think. Now, sort of that power level these days is, is something we're seeing in just every everyday driven street cars. So definitely nothing uh, too out of the ordinary in, in 2019. However, back in uh, 1988, uh, getting these sort of numbers out of a small capacity engine was no easy task. And particularly turbocharger technology wasn't as advanced. So was it a problem getting a usable power band at that sort of power level from a 2.1 litre engine? Um, I don't think so. I think the challenge is always with turbocharged engine to, engine to find the, high, high, um, the right ratio on the exhaust side and on the intake side, just to have a, a nice power delivery at a certain ref point, of course. Um, but the, the task was to find this um, particular setup for racing. And this is a little bit easier because um, others, as, as in rallies, as we did, what we did before, where you need a wide range of, of power and torque to be delivered to match to the driver and to make the, um, to make the car drivable even better. Um, in racing, it's a little bit, um, a little bit easier, I would say, because you're, you're just revving on a, on a certain amount of rev range. So the setup of the turbocharger can just needs to match this particular rev range. You know what I mean? So, so that you just, end up on the right area with a turbocharger and whatever. So essentially much more difficult to get a, a usable power band for rallying because you are over such a dynamic range of the revs and also I think it's fair to say with circuit racing you're obviously going around the same track lap after lap, the driver knows what gear and what RPM range he's going to be in for each corner whereas rallying is much more dynamic, you're coming around a blind corner over a crest and sometimes you find yourself you're in the wrong gear so that's where for the rally and the anti-lag was so important but not critical or not an issue for circuit racing. That's right, that's right, it wasn't critical. 
Okay, so after the Trans Am development, uh, Audi moved into the IMSA GTO series. Uh, could you just talk to us a little bit about the difference between Trans Am and the IMSA series? Or the specification of the car, I should say? Yes, um, it was the IMSA series itself basically was um, combined together with the Trans Am series as well. So they, they, they were basically in the same kind of competition, but in a different class. So Audi started 1988 just to push the sales in the market a little bit in the US. They decided to go into the US market and racing because they want to have a better sales margin. So they, they tried um, to find the right um, competition uh, level. So they started with Trans Am on first side. Um, the Trans Am basically is based on a production car, the metal, um, the body, uh, metal, the chassis. The, the chassis, sorry, yeah. The chassis is um, based on the production car and um, also the silhouette of the car has to match um, the kind of the production car which this car was based on. So, and then you do the standard work as you do on a racing car. You put a roll cage inside and, and decide what kind of, of um, uh, packaging you want to do. But this was for the Trans Am series, and the level higher was the IMSA G series. And maybe later we can look inside the chassis and see the difference um, just on the camera as well. Um, the IMSA car has a has a tub inside, as modern racing cars do have, and then you have a welded a roll cage and a um, and a metal frame just to match the bodywork parts. And even the regulation said that um, the whole components do not need to match to the production as much as they did on the Trans Am side. So essentially breaking that down, Trans Am very closely based on a production road car and a lot more limited in what you could do because of that, whereas when you move to IMSA, a lot more freedom. Really it's not a production road car anymore, it's just in basic, uh, if you look at it, the silhouette form is the same as the road car and that's about where it finishes. Generally speaking, I would agree what you just said. But for example, if we combine um, a Trans Am car to a standard touring car, a standard touring car is even closer on the, to the production car. A Trans Am is a little bit wider on the regulation, but still closer to the production as an IMSA car is, of course. Do you want to take your car knowledge game to the next level? Join us in the next free lesson at hpacademy.com free and start developing your own skills today. Uh, stepping into IMSA, was there any further development to the engine? Was there any more power needed to be competitive? Yes, yes. Um, because with the change of regulation, it was a, a far more competitive car. So um, there were some modifications to the engine, as there were some modifications um, to the whole car as well. Yeah. What sort of power level did you get up to? Up to 720 horsepower in racing. Yeah. And what sort of uh, boost pressure were you using to achieve that? Almost three bars. Running three bar into any engine is, is going to give you some challenges, but when you're trying to do it over the course of a race and maintain reliability, that's even more tricky, particularly in terms of the head ceiling. Is there anything tricky that was being done with the engine in order to maintain reliability at that boost level? Yes, um, basically the engine was based quite a bit on the Rally Goupri engine we had in the S1 E2 car. It was a four-valve engine. Um, if you compare that to the Trans Am car, it was a two-valve engine, by the way. Um, and with the four-valve engine, there was a change in the cylinder head as well, and on, also on the cylinder head cover. But um, I think one of the big design points of that engine is that you have a stud running through from the cylinder head through the crankcase down to the, um, to the crankshaft housing 
just to fix it all together and just to match the boost pressure you have or the combustion pressure you get on the engine once you're running with such a high boost of turbo power. So you're running that stud all the way from the top of the head right down into the caps for the crankshaft and essentially clamping the whole engine together in order to, to yes. achieve head gasket sealing. Yes, you do. You clamp it all together. Yeah. Uh, now another aspect with the Audi uh, that obviously was one of the, the keys to the success was the four-wheel drive system and uh, in the IMSA series were any other competitors four-wheel drive? No, it was just um, Audi running four-wheel drive on the system and as far as I know later on it was forbidden as well. Yeah, I, my understanding is uh, the, after the 1989 season, uh, that was the end of four-wheel drive. Uh, so is that an advantage with the sort of power level uh, on a dry racetrack, or was it only really an advantage to Audi when it was wet? No, I think it was generally an advantage, like accelerating out of corners, slow corners as well. We were talking about power response. This is one thing, but the other thing is if you have a power response, you need traction as well. And this is um, what was clearly an advantage for the, for the Quattro cars. Now, just reaching back into the deep, dim recesses of my memory, if, if I recall correctly, at the start of the 89 IMSA season, uh, there were a couple of rounds missed, but beyond that, uh, Audi were relatively dominant, but just missed out on a championship season because of the rounds that were missed. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, because I think the, the decision to change from Trans Am to IMSA was done in a very short side, and, you know, 88 Trans Am, not 89 IMSA, was in summary two cars for two years so there was a very small development um, time and they were not really done with the development beginning of the year so they decided to miss their like Sebring the the longer distance races and the first three races were missed or we missed the first three races because of development time and just to be sure that the car will last the race and and this is everything is developed in a good proper way and this is the reason why at the end of the day at the end of the season um, the success was not enough just to win the championship they became third maybe just a case of what could have been but of course then the rules were changed and four-wheel drive was yes. banned now just want to talk a little bit about the electronics technology because again uh, the late 80s it's uh, a long time ago now we've seen massive advances particularly in the electronic technology and again trying to control an engine producing that sort of power level is, is tricky even these days so can you talk to us about the uh, the ECU controlling the engine and how that operated what what uh, sort of functionality you had there um, it was basically a Bosch Motorsport um, engine ECU on two cars, on both cars, sorry. Um, it's a Bosch, Bosch M MP1.2 on the Trans M car and a Bosch MP1.7 on the IMSA car. Both, both of them obviously controlling boost pressure, boost regulation. Um, other than that, we have um, a second gallery of fuel injection on the IMSA car. This was just a specific thing, I think, for the IMSA car. I don't know how likely it was back in the days to have it on other cars. Sure, on racing, have it, having a turbocharged engine on racing was not so common as it was nowadays. So this was, if you would say like this, um, a little bit particular. But in general, it was a standard racing ECU, um, which in uh, ref and throttle profile, you know, throttle angle profile. Okay, so basically pretty standard stuff there yep. for the, the engine management. Uh, in, in this time, was there a focus on data logging as well for looking after the engine and improving both the chassis, engine and driver performance? Um, very, very basic, I would say. There was a data logging also, but 
at the end of the day, you were able to read the max values, what you've reached. So in terms of overlaying graphs and whatever, it was not that sophisticated as it was nowadays, obviously, of course. Um, and I think one of the most important points was still what did the driver say, you know, listening to the driver. And also just to find out if you're looking for a problem or a mistake, then you can maybe have a little bit of data logging available, but just basic figures, far away from being sophisticated as it's nowadays, of course. Is it safe to assume as well, absolutely no driver aids back in these days, no traction control, no launch no, control? No, no, nothing, nothing of this, just standard racing. A, a, a purer time, maybe relying just a touch more on uh, sheer driver skill rather than electronic intervention. Look, Timo, great to chat and find out a little bit more about these cars. Thanks for your time there. Thank you, my pleasure. This episode of Tech Talk was brought to you by High Performance Academy, where you can learn tuning, engine building, and wiring with online courses. See more at hpacademy.com. Want to win a free HPA t-shirt? Write us a review and we'll draw a t-shirt winner each month and ship it anywhere in the world. We release an episode of Tech Talk every week, so make sure you hit that subscribe button to catch the upcoming episodes. Thanks for listening, and remember to sign up for the next free lesson at hpacademy.com free and start developing your own knowledge today.